Well, if you would, turn with me in your copies of Scripture to John chapter 12. We're going to be stepping back into the book of John. If you've been here for a little while, you know that we've been spending time in John for a while now. And if you're like me, you've been looking forward to, to getting back to uh, this, this wonderful book, a book that is meant to show us who is Jesus and how should we respond to him. And in some ways, it's a, it's a very simple book. It's a, it's a basic book, but it's also a profound book. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who talked about the, the scriptures being like a river that's shallow enough for a child to play in, but deep enough that an elephant might drown. And that's certainly true of, of the book of John. And so I'm looking forward to getting to meditate on these words with you this morning. From John chapter 12. This is the word of our God. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. But Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So far, the reading of God's word. Let's ask his blessing on on the sermon. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we recognize that we are poor and needy. Lord, we are We are not rich in and of ourselves, but we face great lack. Lord, spiritually, we are in deficit. We are are unable to earn the spiritual riches that we need. And yet, Lord, you delight to abundantly supply. Lord, you lavish your rich grace upon us. And so as we spend time in your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and, and ears to hear. Lord, open hands to receive the blessing that you have offered to us in your word. Lord, we pray this, not that we would be great, but that Christ would be made great in our lives. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, I recall a certain conversation with my dad when I was about 12 
Uh, some of you know this. I grew up in the Texas panhandle. And if you, if you were a, a boy growing up in the Texas panhandle when I was, it meant one thing for sure, and that was that you had to cheer for the Dallas Cowboys. And if you didn't, you were ostracized. You were cast out like a leper. Nobody was your friend. I recall going to my dad and telling him, Dad, I don't want to cheer for the Cowboys anymore. I could tell that he was disturbed by my lack of devotion, but he thought a minute and uh, gave me a list of three teams, uh, three teams in the NFC that were not going to pose a threat to his precious Cowboys and, uh, and didn't have a winning record. So he was like, you can cheer for, for these losers, that's okay. What, what, what changed my mind about the Cowboys? Well, it was because that I, I kept hearing how great they were, how worthy they were of our devotion, uh, but they never seemed to pull it through. They, they were not uh, that great of a team whenever I was actually aware of, of football. And so my faith in them wavered. My devotion was lacking, and it led me to uh, put that sports devotion I had to a different team, the, the Miami Dolphins. And I was reflecting on that as, as I came to this passage of Scripture that reflects about devotion to Christ. That seems to be the, the main theme here of John 12. You might not recall, but in John 11, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. This was his sixth sign of his identity and what he had come to do, that he was the resurrection and the life. And he displayed that by raising Lazarus from the dead. And, and Lazarus hadn't just died. No, he had been dead for four days. He was to the point where people were afraid that he would stink if they got too close to him. But Jesus just effortlessly spoke the words, Lazarus, come out. And he came out. Good as new. No sickness, no stench. Walking forth, taking off his bandages. This incredible work pointed to who Jesus is and what he'd come to do. And, and this raised his profile to a point where the, the high priest and the chief priests and the Pharisees all became convinced that they needed to work together to get rid of Jesus. And so Jesus had retreated with his disciples for, for a time, but the Passover was drawing near. As we step into John 12, Jesus comes back to Bethany, comes back to the town of Lazarus, and receives a, a great banquet. And it's at this place we, we see what true Christian devotion looks like, a devotion that, that, that places the honor of Christ at the center that's what it means to be devoted to Christ, is, is that, that above your benefit, Christ's honor is elevated to the very top. If you're devoted to Jesus, you're going to want to see him honored with all of your life, with all of your possessions, with all of your words, with all of your relationships. True Christian devotion puts a premium on the honor of Christ. 
That's the main idea for our passage this morning. And I, and I hope that we can see that this morning by, by considering, first, one person who found Jesus worthy, second, two people who didn't find Jesus worthy, and then last, three questions that will help us understand how to apply this passage. So one, two, and three. That should be easy enough. So first, the one person who finds Jesus worthy, and and, and we see this starting in verse 2. It says, so they gave him a dinner, Uh, they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with table at him, or uh, with with table. uh, But then we see Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had, has, all, has featured in the Gospels uh, pretty keenly uh, throughout it. Uh, they are friends of Jesus uh, that, that, that come up several times throughout the Gospels. And at this point, this, this brother and two sisters have gathered together to hold a banquet Certainly Martha and her work serving the table and Lazarus reclining at table, enjoying the fellowship of Jesus. These are both incredible acts, but, but there's one act in particular that stands above them all, and that is Mary's, this, this faithful disciple of, of Jesus who had grieved so deeply at the loss of her brother back in chapter 11. She now performs this incredible act of humility and devotion. It says, a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nards. Some translations say perfume, and it refers to this perfume. The, the line between uh, uh, ointment and perfume was, would have been a blurry line. And you can imagine that if you were walking around everywhere you went, you, your, your feet would hurt. They would be cracked. They'd be covered in all sorts of mess. You imagine having this this ointment, this this lavish perfume poured on them and and worked into your feet would have been, uh, uh, felt really, really great. This nard, I'm sure many of you don't have perfumes or, or, or scented candles made from nard right now, but at the time... Nard was an expensive herb that, that would have been harvested in the Himalayas. I don't, I don't know if you recall the map, but the Himalayas are quite a distance uh, from, from, the, from the Middle East. And so in order for, for, the, for this nard to be brought, it would have been very expensive. It would have been difficult to acquire. This would not have, have been on the, the, the stocks of the shops very often would have been hard to get. And we see that she takes a pound of this, a pound, which in this time, this would have been about 12 ounces, but this would have been an extraordinary amount. Even Judas recalls this is about 300 denarii. 300 denarii, that's 300 days of labor. A denarii was the amount of a wage that a day worker would make. 300, I, I, I'm not going to ask you about your salaries, but, 
but 300 days of labor, that's how much this ointment, this perfume is worth. This is an extraordinary amount to the point you should be asking yourself, where did she get something like this? Some have supposed that she was from a wealthy family, but if you look at this account in Matthew and Mark, they're hosting this party at Simon the leper's house. So they're not even doing this, this banquet-style thing at, at, at their own house. Their house is likely not big enough. They, they went to somebody who had a larger house. Rather, instead of her being wealthy, it seems all likely that this is a part of her inheritance, perhaps a dowry, something that, that was going to be uh, given to a future husband as a, as a way of, of formalizing the, her marriage. This is an extraordinary item that, that she breaks out at this party, a precious possession not for ordinary use. And what does she do with it? She cracks it open, and she begins to pour it on Jesus' feet. Matthew and Mark record she also anoints his head, but, but, but John focuses in on Jesus' feet. This is, a, this is not an ordinary place to get your feet anointed. One scholar has noted, though, that, that, that it is that there are other places where, where anointing of a feet, ha- where feet happens, but it's in, a, in, in very rare conditions, usually exclusively reserved for kings, particularly kings returning from great victory over some sort of uh, adventure or conquest. It's reserved for the highest royalty. This is an act of of debasement in some sense on on Mary's part. She's lowering herself so far down to wash Jesus' feet. This is an, an act of utter humility on her part. I am your servant. This is what this communicates. And then she does something even more extraordinary, something I, I couldn't find anywhere else in the ancient literature. She begins to wipe her feet with her hair. She's wiping off the, the oil that, that, that is so lavishly been poured on his feet. And, and, and this might strike you as strange, and, and you, it should because this is unexpected. Mary uses her hair, and, and as I was speculating over this some, I was talking to someone about this this week, and she mentioned, well, well isn't her hair her glory? This is, this is a part of, of her reflecting. This is, this is her casting down her crown at the feet of, of King Jesus, using her hair, this this, this part of her body that was meant to convey her deepest beauty and her glory and using it to wipe off the feet of Jesus. Her act is one of deepest devotion, but also affection and love. She has not withheld this incredible 
thing that she's been held, holding on to, but, but lavishes it on her Savior to express how truly glorious and wonderful He is. She's saying, He is worthy. He is worthy. I am His servant, and He is worthy of this praise. She is using her possessions and her person for her highest priority, for her deepest devotion, honoring Christ. That's what she's doing. There are other people around, people from her city, people who would have known her and she would have had, had to make eye contact with later throughout the week. And she didn't care. She didn't care. It was all about bringing honor to Jesus. It's, it's so that everybody who had gathered there at the party would, would see and say, he is worthy of my devotion. This is the Messiah who brings the dead back to life. He had saved her brother and he, she wanted everyone to know that they should look to him and, and imitate her in some sense. They should seek to honor him as well. This is Mary, one who found Jesus worthy of her deepest devotion. But now I want us to turn and look, because the passage turns and looks to two who, who do not. The first is Judas. Now, now we, we, even if you haven't been in church um, really at all, you, you know the name Judas. Judas is the one who betrays Jesus. He's the one who turns his back after following Jesus for three years. And we see he takes issue with this act of devotion on Mary's part. He says something that, that many of us who are maybe more practically minded would think, couldn't this be sold for 300 denarii? Couldn't this be used differently? Jesus, this is so off-brand for you. Don't you know that you're supposed to care for the poor? You're just letting her pour all this oil on your feet? This could have been used for for the benefit of other people. And it feels bad to say that you, that you would be agreeing with Judas, but, but in some sense it's sort of like, what's going on, Jesus? Doesn't Judas have a point? At first, John tells us that, that Judas's motives weren't so pure. He, didn't, he wasn't concerned about the poor, ultimately. He was ultimately concerned about being able to pilfer the the coffers to take for his own benefit. And yet Jesus engages with Judas's argument in good faith. He counters it. In anointing his, in anointing his feet, Mary has again chosen the better portion. She has taken stock of her options. And she has chosen to do the better thing with it. Jesus would not always be with them. And so now was her chance to honor Christ in the greatest way she could. This wasn't an act of indifference to the poor. Rather, it was a recognition of her priorities, which was honoring Christ. And what honored Christ the most in that moment with this 
perfume. It was to anoint him. It was to to bring attention to the beauty and wonder and greatness of, of who Jesus is. That's ultimately the point with our service to the poor. It's It is a good and right thing, and we should not take from this passage that that ministry to the poor is something insignificant. Actually, again and again, that is encouraged throughout Scripture. The Old Testament in Deuteronomy 15, even into the New Testament with the book of James. Care for the poor is meant to be a priority within the church, and yet it is not an end in and of itself. Rather, it's, an, it's aimed at bringing honor and glory to Jesus. That's the point. That's the big picture. It's all about Christ. And Judas, who was more concerned about getting money for himself, missed that. Judas had been with Jesus as long as the other disciples, and yet he failed to see Jesus as worthy. What a scary thought that is, that you could be around Jesus so long, see so many incredible works, and yet miss it. Judas knew the price of the ointment, but he didn't know its value, that it could have been used to bring glory and honor to Jesus. He missed it. He didn't see Jesus as worthy. But also now in in verses 9 through 11, we see another uh, individual. I say individual. It's more of a group that is collectively lumped into one identity, and that is the chief priests. We see that, 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 that folks from the community find out that that Jesus is there, that Jesus has come back, this Jesus who has raised Lazarus from the dead, he has returned to Bethany, and so they want to go see him. They want to see what else he might do. And so they they start to gather there, but but we're told as well that they, they gather because Lazarus has become a bit of a celebrity. I mean, can you imagine? I I've never met anybody else risen from the dead, have you? Wouldn't you want to hear a little bit about what's going on? I mean, those, those books about children and people who've purported to go to heaven, and they, you, they sell. People want to know, what's it like to be dead? What happens? But the point of Lazarus, as we can see, the point of Lazarus' resurrection was, was not in Lazarus. The point wasn't about about Lazarus still being with them. The point was Jesus had raised Lazarus. And this was causing many to turn to Jesus and believe in him and follow him. And the chief priests hated this. They hated this. Which is interesting. They should have known. They knew the scriptures. They, they knew what this sign was meant to do. That, that Jesus is even greater than the prophets of old who may have resuscitated children, brought children back from the dead. But Jesus has done something so much greater and more wonderful. A, a prophet greater than they has come. They knew this. 
and yet they rejected Jesus. They did not find him worthy. Why is that? Because people stopped following them in order to follow Jesus, and they hated it. They wanted the praise of people. They wanted they wanted the people's affirmation and, and appreciation. They wanted to get the, the gift cards at Christmas. You know, they wanted to get the, the, the cookies and the candy and all of that from, from an admiring crowd. They wanted to be the influencers of Israel. And with Lazarus, they saw that, that their influence was next to nothing. And so they, they further committed themselves not just to destroying Jesus, but destroying his works as well. Namely, this work of bringing Lazarus back from the dead. They needed to kill Lazarus too. They needed to try to undo Jesus' work. They were so focused on their popularity and their praise, their influence, that it blinded them from seeing that Jesus was worthy. Jesus was worthy of the praise of all the crowds. You imagine John the Baptist reacting this way when his disciples come to him and say, you know, there, there are many leaving you to follow this Jesus. And John says, well, we gotta, we gotta put an end to that. My cousin can't override me. No, what did John say? John said, I must decrease. He must increase. It's about his honor. It's about his praise, not mine. It's about bringing glory to him. He is worthy. The chief priests missed out on this. Judas and the chief priests failed to see the worthiness of Jesus. And as we read about in, in Matthew's gospel, it's at this point that Judas and the chief priests get together to form a plot to destroy Jesus, to crucify him. So we see now one who thought he was worthy, two who didn't think he was worthy. And that leads us to this final section, three questions for application. And the first is, if you say that Jesus is not worthy, I want to ask you why you think that is. Why is Jesus not worthy of your deepest devotion and praise? What is it about Jesus that turns you away from him? Let me tell you, you will give your deepest devotion to something. It's part of what it means to be human. We are, we are going to be a fan of something. We are going to elevate something and put it at the, the, at the chief place in our lives. We're going to try to bring honor and praise to it. Let me tell you, anything that is not Christ is going to fail you. Any other thing that we try to put in that place of deserving the most honor, it can't stand it. It can't ultimately bear the weight of it. Money will fail you. It's going to run out. 
Its purchasing power is limited. And ultimately, despite what some people are saying, you will never be able to buy your way to eternal life. To per, to, you, you can never buy your way out of dying. Likewise, your, your status will fail you. All that you accomplish, all that you do, it doesn't pass with you into the next life. It exists for a time, but you will be forgotten. Jesus is the only one the only one who has died, that any who trusts in him may not perish, but have everlasting life, that, that he would raise them again at, at the last day. That's, that's what Lazarus ultimately points to. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. How did Jesus do this? Incredibly enough, it's, it's Mary's act of devotion points to it. Because we read that, that this was in preparation for his burial. Jesus is, is lavished with this devotion, but he's ultimately the king who dies for his people. He is the king who comes as the servant. He is the anointed one that we might be anointed with blessing. He dies and is raised that we too, when we die, we might be raised again. And because of that, he is worthy of all of our devotion. He is worthy of our praise. There is no one like Jesus. And so if, if, if you do not know, if you do not consider Jesus worthy, I would strongly encourage you to take an examination of Jesus' life. Read books about the, the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection and all that he came to do. And I'm, I am certain you will be faced with, with the greatest question in your life. Is Jesus worthy? And history and the scriptures and his people testify that indeed he is worthy of your deepest devotion. Now, for those of you who, who do say Jesus is worthy, I have two questions for you. If you say Jesus is worthy, does the way that your possessions, the way that you use your possessions, reflect that? Do, is the way that you use your cars and your homes and your TVs and your video game systems uh, your pool tables, your, your swimming pools, do, does that reflect Jesus is worthy of your greatest devotion and honor? If Jesus is worthy, he is worthy of all of our possessions. Mary did not count her inheritance a thing to be used for her own benefit, but to bring glory to God. And this isn't to say that we should never uh, buy things that are fun for ourselves or, or go on vacations that are fun for ourselves or things like that. But the question is, the question that we should be asking with, with every purchase, with everything we get, how can I honor Christ with this? How can I use this to magnify His name? 
He is worthy of all of our praise. And if that's true, it matters for how we use our things. I say this because I know that this church is good at this. This is something that I've regularly seen again and again over the the about six years I've been here is people leveraging their their homes and their resources for the good of of people who are in need. You know, air mattresses, lending out cars, providing food, all sorts of incredible acts of, of generosity and mercy. And whenever I talk to some of those individuals who've done this, I I know that that's coming not merely from a a philanthropic heart, a heart that believes in humanitarian aid, but a heart that is genuinely seeking to honor Christ. And so what I'm asking you to do is something that I know that you are already so keen to do. You want to honor Christ, and so you see how your possessions can be used in that way. So I'm just encouraging you all the more, pursue this, continue to do this. This is not a static skill in your life. How do you steward your possessions for the honor of Christ? Rather, this is something that you can continue to grow in. It's something that you can get better at. If you are wanting to grow in using more of your life to honor Christ, let me encourage you to find an older saint in the church and ask them, how do you do this? How do you give more to bring honor to Christ? And I know that there are, there are saints here who would love to tell you because that is their chief aim as well. Likewise, a, a second question If you say Jesus is worthy, does the way that you use your status and your person seek to honor him the most? Are you living for your own praise or for the praise of Christ? Whenever you're at work, is it about making much of yourself and climbing the ladder? Or is it about making much of Jesus and seeing more people come to know Jesus? That's not to say that every single conversation that you have with your colleagues should be an evangelistic one. But it is to say, what what is your chief goal? What are you aiming at at work? Have you slowed down to think about it? Or for those of you who who labor at home, those who care for children, what what are you aiming at for your kids? Is Is it for them to think that you have it all together? That, that, that mom is super mom, and that you get all the praise and all the glory, and, and, and yeah, you mentioned Jesus' name on occasion, but it's really a house built to magnify yourself. We should seek to be using all that we are to bring honor to Christ. And as we step into this new year, let me encourage you, if, if, if you're not a resolution person, I'm not typically a resolution person either, but make it your resolution this year that you would grow even more in your ability to honor Christ 
with all that you have. If, if, if he is your deepest devotion, let that impact everything about who you are. Go to him in prayer and ask for his help. And I, I fully believe that is a prayer the Lord is willing and ready to answer. That, that you would pray that, that you could honor him more. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. But that is what the Lord is aiming for, is, is for his glory and for your heart to be aimed at his glory as well. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is worthy of our deepest devotion. So let's orient our entire lives around him. Let's, let's seek to use all that we have to bring him the most honor and, and the most praise. That's what, that's what we want, isn't it? So let's look to him. Let's ask for his help. Let's encourage and stir one another up that we would be known here at Redeemer, not just as a church that loves one another and loves our community, but most clearly and most fully, a church that wants to honor Christ above all else. Amen. Let's go to him now. Our Lord and God, we do confess that you are worthy of our praise. Lord, for not only have you formed us, you have redeemed us. Jesus, you have, you have shed your blood to redeem for yourself a people, a, a precious possession that we might know you and love you and seek to honor you with all that we are. Lord, that is our, our longing. And though sin and weakness sometimes get in the way, Lord, please help us. Help us to know how we might honor you more. Lord, we, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you that we can be your servants, that you've brought us in as children, but, but Lord, that, that we could be humble before you and offer ourselves and our lives to you. We pray that you would strengthen us to this, to this end, Lord, that, that you would receive all praise and glory. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.